Yes, Lord, may what we've sung be true of us. Every aspiration that we've expressed when we sing, we hope and pray and express our best desires of you and for you. So may it all come true by the grace of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for those who are here for the first time. May they feel our welcome and your love that they know that they've been prayed for this week and you will meet with them and speak kindly to them and lead them to whatever is best for them. Repentance or encouragement or correction or teaching or praise, whatever is best for them, Lord, you can provide it all. And we pray now that through the preaching of your word, you would. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. One prayer request before we open the word of God. As you know, we've been looking for a youth pastor for a short time. And on Sunday, December 9th, Pastor DJ McMoyle and his family will be with us. Um, I totally agree, and I haven't even met him. Uh, we've, we've had a wonderful time getting acquainted from across the miles. He's, he's coming from the upper Midwest, so I'm pretty sure he's going to be pleased to come here in December. Um, you'll hear more about him in, when the time comes, but be praying for him and for his family in the meantime, for DJ, for his wife Kristen, and their uh, one-year-old baby boy named Asher. Uh, my name's Bruce, again, and I'm the senior pastor here, and one of the great joys of my life is to share ministry with you. Ministry is not a one or three or four man show at Cross Point. The intention of the body of Christ is for all of God's people to minister. And we're not entirely there yet, but I am so grateful that so many of you have found your place in the body, you've responded to the Lord, and you're serving and you're giving your gifts and also sharing your needs so that the body may minister in return. That's why I am delighted to introduce to you uh, one of our pastors, not a stranger to you. He came up in this church years ago, went to seminary, became a pastor, and returned to us not too long ago. Would you help me welcome Pastor John Vo? Thank you, Pastor Bruce. I try to emulate Pastor Bruce as much as I can, which is why I'm wearing the blue shirt. All right. <laughs> Okay, you know, if I could be half the man Pastor Bruce is, um, I, I would be doing well. So thank you, Pastor Bruce, for the opportunity to bring God's word here to Cross Point. Um, all right, hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. I'm very full still from, <laughs> from Thursday. But uh, if you will, we're going to be in the book of Malachi this morning. So uh, if you're unfamiliar with the book, just find the Gospel of Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament, and turn one chapter back. It's the last book in the Old Testament. It's the book of Malachi. It's where we're going to spend our entire morning in. You'll make your way there. Last of the minor prophets. I got to tell you, the, the sound of the Bible's pages turning, that's, that's a beautiful sound, guys. <laughs> it's a great sound. All right, the book of Malachi, chapter 1. We're going to read starting in verse 6. We're going to go up to verse 10, and this is what the Word of God has says, starting in verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. 
But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that, the, oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I would not accept an offering from your hand. Let's pray one more time. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the reading of your word. May you now open up our hearts and mind to receive your word, that we may love it, that we may live it, that we may love and honor you all the more, Lord. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. In today's society, uh, we kind of have this culture of minimal effort, yet obtaining maximum results, right? Minimal effort, maximum rewards. We want to do as little as we can, exerting the least amount of our time, effort, and energy, but we still want rewards that far outweigh the input that we put in. Uh, you know, in my first year of, of marriage, I, uh, I gained uh, quite a number of pounds. We'll keep that number unknown in the mystery, <laughs> right? Uh, but I mean, this is just kind of what happens in most... Uh, marriage in their first year, and, and especially for me, uh, what happened was, you know, I went from eating couple noodles, you know, every day, all right, <laughs> two, I didn't eat breakfast, so it was two times a day, right, couple noodles two times a day, to finally, you know, having full-blown meals, right, I mean, I had spaghetti for lunch, and then like meatloaf or something for dinner, and I'm like, this is heaven, this is it. I've hit the jackpot. This is what marriage is all about, right? <laughs> it's the food, okay? I, I mean, it, it, was, it was wonderful. And, my, and my, you know, my wife, you know, she would always make a little more, right? She, you know, she didn't make the exact portion. She always was gracious with her portions, and she would make a little bit more. And she would ask me, well, do you want seconds? <laughs> Why, of course I want seconds. Who wouldn't want seconds? I mean, in my mind, I, I had to take advantage of this because I didn't know how long this was going to last, right? <laughs> okay? <laughs> so in my first year uh, of marriage, you know, I ate essentially two lunches and two dinners. And so you can imagine eating practically four meals a day, what that would do to one's waistline. Right? So, and so I remember having dinner once with a friend. We were, it was me, my wife, and a friend. And we're sitting there and, you know, we're talking. And, he, you know, he's looking at me. He's like, oh, you know, John, there's something different about you. I'm like, oh, yeah? And, you know, he's looking at me. He's looking at me closely, inspecting my face, and he kind of brings his hands to his cheeks, and he's like, you know, you know, he's like pulling them out. He's like, hey, I think your cheeks are a little bit bigger, aren't they? <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean my cheeks are bigger? What are you trying to say right now? Right? And he's like, yeah, I mean, they're just a little, little big, don't you think? I'm like, no, I don't think so. Right? And then I, and we're, we're talking. He's like, you know, I, 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 that's what it is. I, I know the difference. You, you gain a lot of weight. <laughs> like, Thanks. Thanks, friend. And so, of course, what do I do? I go right home, and I Google. Right? I Google. The first thing I Google, you know, five-minute 
workout program to six-pack abs, right? <laughs> right? Or, five, you know, or 15 minutes to 15 pounds or something like that, right? You know, I, and I'm looking at the best workout programs that don't go any more than 15 minutes or anything like that, right? Maybe 20 if we're pushing it here, okay? Right? Just to get, you know, that chiseled body that I need to, you know, I never had, but I need, want to get back, right? <laughs> you know, and, I, and I, I'm thinking in my mind, right, if, if I stick to this five-minute program, surely... Surely I'm going to get the six-pack abs. And I did it for quite a while, and surely I'm like, where are my six-pack abs? Okay, I, I never got it doing that five-minute program, and I, I still don't, right? <laughs> and, I was, and I'm thinking in my mind, I was looking through this, right? I just, I just wanted to put the minimal amount of effort in, and I wanted to, you know, lose the weight and, and gain the chiseled body, right? But, you know, the reality is losing weight is hard work. Right? I mean, not only is it a combination of working out with both cardio and strength training, right? You got to eat right. You got to eat right. It's, it's the whole, it's everything. It's the whole picture, right? If I wanted that type of body, I, I need to put the hard work in. There is no such thing as a five-minute program to six-pack abs. But yet my initial attitude, as I heard about how m- much weight I gained, right? I was like, all right, well, I, just want, I still want to do as little as possible, but I want to succeed and gain maximum rewards. Essentially, I wanted my goal without the hard work. And that's like saying, you know, I want to go to, I want to, go to college, but never go to any, I want to graduate college, but never go to class, or never take an exam. Or I want to get a raise or a management position, but I want to do nothing to earn it, or very little to earn it. Right? But yet again, still expecting huge returns. And here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. Sometimes... This is our attitude with worshiping the Lord, is it not? That when it comes time to worship God, which really should be every day of our lives, we want to do as little as possible, yet get the maximum rewards from worshiping God or maximum favor from God. We want to do the five-minute to become godly program, all right, or the 15-minute worship sessions that will gain favor from God. You know, this morning as we... Take a look at Malachi chapter 1. Uh, you know, as we've already read, right, we, we can already hear the tone that the Lord has for the nation of Israel, right? It, it's one of judgment. Right? It's one of judgment. They, they've messed up and he's bringing a word of judgment to them. But that's not what I want to do this morning. I don't want to bring a, a tone of judgment to us. We're not Israel, right? But what I want to do is I want to use what Israel is going through as an example and a word of warning. That will cause us then to reflect on our lives, reflect on how we worship God. And so this morning, I want to ask three reflection questions. Three reflection questions that we need to work through, right, to make sure that we are properly worshiping him. Now, but before we actually jump into the text, okay, um, let's, I want to bring us up to speed with the context, Right, you know, this is a minor prophet. Sometimes it's a, it's kind of, it can get kind of sticky getting in here, right? And so, uh, just a, a brief history here, right? Israel <clears throat> was once one nation. It was one nation, and eventually it broke into two halves, right? We had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And as we read through the Bible, eventually what happens with these kingdoms is they get exiled, right? Uh, they, the Assyrians were captured by the north. Uh, the northern kingdom was captured by the Assyrians. And the southern kingdom was captured by the Babylonians, and they were exiled, right? And, and, and they, this happened because Israel sinned against God. Israel did not worship God properly, right? They didn't give him the due honor that he deserved. 
And so there was a point in time that the nation of Israel did not occupy the promised land because God had exiled them, right? And obviously God, um, being a merciful, gracious, and loving God who always keeps his promises to Israel and that he's made to, to their forefathers and whatnot, after 70 years of being exiled, God would have it that he would bring the Jews back to the promised land. And so understand, the nation of Israel knows that their exile was due to their sin, due to their lack of worship of God and obeying his law. And when Israel was brought back to the promised land, one of the first things that they did was reconstruct the temple so that they may worship God. And in conjunction with the rebuilding of the temple, they were also taught the law of God so that they would worship him properly, that they would do it right this time, that they would get it right. And so that's the general backdrop of the book of Malachi. Israel's returned to the promised land. They know that God was not pleased with them before. They've now been taught how to properly worship and obey him so that now God could be pleased with them. Now, a theme that runs throughout the book of Malachi is that God loves Israel, right? Israel was God's covenant people. But although God loves Israel, Israel at this point in time, the book of Malachi, they didn't think God was loving them, right? They didn't feel that love. God had promised that the land would be fruitful, that they would be their own nation, be a multitude of people. But the reality was that that wasn't happening. Instead, there was drought. Only a fraction of the Jews remained. And they were still being oppressed by other governments. And so Israel felt that God had abandoned them and does not love them. And as we, we didn't read it, but in verses 1 through 5 in chapter 1, that's exactly what Israel is doing. Israel is saying, hey, you don't love us, God. You don't love us. And God in the first five verses proves like, no, you, I, I do. I do indeed love you. And he proves and he shows that. And what really happens, though, is that God turns the table on Israel. Because the reality is Israel was the one that did not love God. Verse 6 here sets the tone that God is going to have this dialogue with Israel, the, the question that he's going to give them. Look with me down at verse 6. It says, again, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am father, where is my honor? And if I am master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests who despise my name? God is essentially saying here, look at a father and look at a master. They get their due honor and respect from their kids and servants. Now, of course, God, the creator of life, the God of the universe, the king of kings, of course, he would be more deserving of honor than a father and a master. Yet from Israel, God has not received it. God is specifically talking to the priests because it is the priests, the, the cultic leaders of Israel, who represented the nation as a whole. Israel had more than enough time in exile to consider all their sins, right? Been sufficiently taught the law of God so they would properly worship him. Yet again, Israel finds itself in the same boat. And what is worse, as we'll see later this morning, is they just don't get it. They just don't get it. And so you see the tone, right? That's, that sets up the tone for their entire passage, right? God, you know, he's turning the tables on them, and he's, he's bringing a word to them. And he's going to challenge them of how they've been worshiping him. And so our first question of the morning, our first question of the morning, are you giving God your best or do you give God your best? Verses 7 and 8 say, say again, right, talking about 
uh, despising God's name. How do they do it? Verse 7, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you have offered those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Now, the Mosaic law stated that when you were to sacrifice anything to God, anything to the Lord, it was to be an unblemished animal, meaning that there were no defects. It wasn't blind, lame, or sick, or anything like that. It was to be as close to perfection as possible. But that's not what the priests did. Instead, they offered the worst of their flock. They sacrificed the animals they didn't want. The lame ones, sick ones, blind ones. They despise the name of the Lord by sacrificing defiled food. And so the answer to their question, how have we despised your name, God? How have we dishonored you, God? The answer, by worshiping me in the exact way I've told you not to do. By giving sacrifice that I hate. And here's the funny thing, right, if you didn't catch it. In verse 7, after God tells the priest, you've polluted my food on my, upon my altar, that's how you despise my name. The priest just don't get it. They don't get it because they ask the question, but how have we polluted you? They don't see the connection, right? They don't see the fact that not giving proper sacrifice, not sacrificing according to how God wants you to do it is in fact dishonoring him not worshiping him, right? They're thinking in their minds, we're sacrificing, aren't we? I mean, at least we're doing it. It's not like we're doing nothing. We're still sacrificing animals in your name. In the minds of the priests, they were following the law of God, albeit maybe their way and not God's way. So how could they possibly be polluting God's altar and despising his name? But you see, that's not the point, right? It's not the point. While the priests were sacrificing animals, we clearly see in the text that God caused their sacrifice evil. How the priests worshiped God, which was through sacrifice, would show if they would honor or dishonor God's name. It was through the altar and the obedience to the law that God gave them that would ultimately show and determine the nation of Israel truly honored and worshiped God. But clearly they didn't, right? Because what they did was they presented the the blind, the lame, and the sick sacrifices, which God calls evil. You see, the priests did not worship God properly because they did not worship God at all. Not with a proper heart attitude or anything like that. They They didn't give him their best, but they gave him their worst. What they were doing was they were going through the motion without truly worshiping. When I was in college, um, when I started college many, many years ago, my mom would, uh, she would want me, she asked me, I, need, I want you to call me every day. Okay, I want you to call me every day. And now, you know, um, admittedly, I, I never followed it. Right? I never did it. I, at best, I gave her maybe one phone call a week. Right? College students don't ever do that. Okay? <laughs> don't ever do that, college students. Right? And every time I would call her, right, she would, um, she would get mad at me. Because I didn't call the other six days, right? So, so the one time I called her in the week, she was like, why didn't you call me the other six days, right? So if it was Sunday, what happened to Monday or Saturday? Whatever it was, she would get mad, right? And part of the reason 
why she wanted me to call her, right, as I look back, right, the reality was I was the first child that went off to college and moved far away enough that it took at least two hours for my mom to get to me. I, I was born and raised in San Fernando Valley. I went to University of California, Riverside. So, you know, two, two and a half hours, far enough that, you know, if my mom got mad at me, it took her at least a two-hour drive for her to throw her shoe at me, right? You know, so, so I had some time. I had some time to get out of, get out of harm's way, okay? So it was far enough that she wanted me to, to call her every day, right? Uh, but the real, you know, that was part of the reason. But the real reason, as I, as I look back as an adult, right, is that my mom just wanted to talk to me, right? Growing up, uh, I was the one that my mom talked to. I was the mama's boy, right? And I, I wear that proudly. I'm okay with that, right? Uh, she would tell me about her day at work and, and all the drama that was going on with the coworkers, you know, and um, just, you know, things with family, everything, right? She, she, she would just talk to me about anything that came to her mind to her heart's content, right? And, of course, you know, now that I, just because I'm out of the house doesn't mean she wants to stop that, right? She still wants to continue that conversation, still wants to continue, you know, talking to me, right? But here I was, you know, I, the, a dumb, ungrateful college kid. I just didn't want to talk to her. I just didn't want to call her, right? I wanted to hang out with my friends or waste my time playing video games or whatever it was. And, you know, when I did call her that one time, right, a week or so, when I did call her, I just wanted to get off the phone as quick as possible, right? I called her. I would say, hi, how are you doing? And that was kind of like the, okay, now you can say whatever you want to say, and I'm hoping you finish quick so I can say, okay, good, I got to go. Sorry, bye. Click. I mean, that's what I wanted to do. Right? I wasn't really interested in having a conversation. I wasn't interested at that time with what she was doing. I just didn't want her to be mad with me. Right? So I just did that one time a week. One of the biggest regrets that I have looking back as an adult. You know, really calling my mom was just going through the motion. I'm just going through the motion. I just need to call her because she wanted me to so that she wouldn't get that mad at me. But in many of those phone calls, even that once a week, in many of those phone calls, my mind and heart was somewhere else. My attitude was terrible. It was clear. I didn't give my mom my best during those years. I wasn't the son that I should have been and could have been. And that's the idea here going on in this passage, right? Israel is sacrificing. They're doing it, right? They're doing something, but their heart was somewhere else. Her heart was totally somewhere else. Their attitude was terrible. They didn't give God their best. Right? They didn't worship God and honor him like they should have worshiped and honored him. And so bridging the text for us today, this morning, right, God does not want you, does not want you to give half-hearted worship. He doesn't want us to go through with the motions. He wants all of you. He wants all of your heart. He wants you to worship him with 100% of your heart and mind. He wants proper attitude and proper action of worship. And understand, right, worship is not just Sunday morning. When we talk about worship of God, we're talking about every day of our lives with everything that we do. Now, I'm super happy, super happy and thankful that every single one of you are here this morning. We've been praying for you, right? But if this is the only time that you come to meet God, if this is the only time that you crack open a Bible, or the only time that you've spent in prayer, 
If this hour and a half is the only thing that resembles a Christian life for you this entire week, then like Israel, God is not pleased with how you worship him. God is not pleased with how you're living for him. You're not giving God your best. And the passage is showing us God demands and wants your best. He will not have it any other way. He wants the honor that is due to him. And as we shall see, right, what's going on with Israel, right, how God is judging them, right, we need to reflect on that, right? If we don't give God the honor due to him, if we don't worship him, if we don't give him our best, our conclusion is Israel's conclusion, which was judgment. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, right, to, to reflect, are we giving God our best? Are you giving God your best? Does God get all of you? Or does someone or something else get more of you? Which leads us to the second reflection question for this morning. Do you give to others better than what you give to God? The end of verse 8 says, Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? Now, the Lord is using an illustration to demonstrate how wicked of an attitude the priests have with the sacrifice they offer to God. Right? He says, go do the same thing with your governor. Right? Go do the same thing. Now, you got to remember, right, Israel returned to the land from exile, right? But they didn't have control over the land. They weren't their own nation. There was still another nation over them. And so they had their governors in place to be ruling over the Jews. And so essentially God is saying, here, go ahead. Go ahead and offer to the governor the same thing you offered to me. Go ahead and do that and see what happens. The idea behind it is that if you give to God your worst, the blind, uh, the, blind the lame, the, the sick animals, then, well, you should be able to do that for a governor as well, right? A governor is far less in status than God. He is but a mere man. So God says offer to them. See if the governor will take that type of offering kindly and be pleased with those types of animals. It's obvious, right? It's obvious what the answer is. The priests, they knew that, that this, you, they would, you would never offer your governor a defected animal, right? The governor was the man of the town, right? He was the man of the town. You don't want to get on his bad side, right? You want to be on his good side. And being his good side, you offered him the best. You gave him the best. You gave him the best gifts in hopes that he would be nice to you, that he would show favor to you. And, you, you know, and you'd, be in good, you'd be good with him. Right? I mean, that's obvious, right? He's the man of the town. You know, my, um, my brother and I, every, you know, Christmas is coming up. Uh, my brother and I, every Christmas, you know, we always got to think about what to give my dad. Right? My, my, my dad is a, um, you know, he, he kind of has everything he needs, you know, a kind of a, a very simple man. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to get him gifts. And so sometimes, you know, and, and the things that he does want you know, it's kind of like black and white. The things that he does want, it's like extravagant, right? And so he never gets it himself, but that's what he wants. He doesn't need anything else. And so, you know, and every year it's so difficult for my brother. We spend so much time, so much time, so much effort thinking about what we should get him, right? And, and man, we, and sometimes we just got to, you know, my brother looks at me, he's like, we just got to fork it over. I'm like, well, you can fork it over, right? <laughs> I, I can't, you know, I can't do this. And he's like, nope, you got to do it. 
you know, and sometimes we just got to, we, we put in the cash and we, we, we get him what he wants and as, as expensive as it is, whatever, we, we just do it for him, right? We, we, we try to get him the best of the best because he wants the best of the best. And it's typically electronics that he wants. And you know electronics, it's pretty expensive, right? And so that's what we do for him, right? We, we put all our effort, our energy, our finances, whatever it may be, whatever is needed to get him what we believe he wants because we want to honor him. Right? He's our dad, after all, right? He's my dad, right? I want to honor him. And, you know, it's interesting, right? Like, you know, we, we got to think about that, right? You know, I, I, I do so much, you know, around Christmas time, and obviously throughout the year, too, but, you know, I'm thinking about just as Christmas time rolls around, I do so much for him. I try to, I, 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 you know, put so much thought into trying to figure out what I should get for my dad. And then the question goes, like, well, do I put this kind of energy and effort with my father in heaven? Right? Do I give him that time? Do I try to search for the best things to give him? Right? Do I serve him in that kind of way, that kind of attitude, that kind of mindset? Right? And that's the illustration that's going on here that, that Malachi is doing, right? Like, you know, you, you know, you, you would, would you do this with a human governor? Right? You wouldn't do it with him, but why would you do it with me? Priests are more than willing to give something better than they would give to God. They're more than willing to show respect and honor to a governor than over the creator of the universe. And God is pointing out when he is not first, when he is not the priority, then they've already failed. They've already acted wickedly. God must be first. He must be the priority. No one can ever receive more honor and respect than God himself. And so again, bridging that concept for us today, right, we know that God is God. We know here at Crosspoint that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. We know that salvation is the priceless gift that is better than nothing in this world. We know that Christ is to be our priority. No one can ever, ever match Christ. He must be in first place alone. And so it begs the question, so is he? Or like the illustration that we see in Malachi, do we sometimes give to others more, you know, more of ourselves and we give ourselves to God. I think about this, right? How many of us stay up late helping a friend with a problem, which is a good thing, right? These are all good things, helping a friend with a problem, perhaps getting up early to help a friend, or even getting up early to go to work, right? How many of us dedicate ourselves to our hobbies? How many hours is put into playing basketball or working out at the gym or even practicing a musical instrument? I think about all that. And ask, does God get the same dedication? Does God get the same amount of energy? Does Christ get me in the morning, right? Does he get my energy in the morning? Do I wake up early to meet with him? Do I, you know, how's my Bible reading? Do I, do I make sure I spend my time in the word of God that I, may, that I may build my relationship with him? Am I putting my energy towards that? Do I pray to him seeking his face? Do I put good amount of energy into building my relationship with Christ, right? Then I do that with friends. Now, of course, I understand that the, you know, numbers of hours, they're not one-to-one, right? Not necessarily, right? But what I'm talking about here is is an attitude, a mindset. Is your attitude and mindset one that would dedicate more of yourself to God over anything else? Is Christ your priority and centrality of your life over your career, over money, 
over school, over things and other stuff, over whatever it is, fill in the blank for you. Is Christ over that? Is Christ a priority? Do we give to others or other things better than what we give to God? Which leads to the last reflection question of the morning. Do you repent? Do you repent? God continues his dialogue with the priest, and he says in verses 9 and 10, And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there would be one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I would not accept an offering from your hand. As God continues to rebuke the priests, what is being said in verse 9 is that Israel obviously, right, he, they obviously want the favor of God, right, just like anybody of us, any one of us would want favor from God, right, or want favor from a governor and all that, so we obviously want that, yet the question is, was such a gift, the gift of the, the quote-unquote gift, right, the, of the lame, the sick, and the blind animals, well, those sacrifices actually bring favor from God upon the nation? The obvious answer, as we've seen, is absolutely not. Absolutely not. In fact, as we see in verse 10, so evil and wicked are the sacrifices that, that the priests are offering to God that he says, it's better that you don't do anything. Don't do anything. Don't even bring a sacrifice to the altar. Close the doors to the temple. Don't let anybody in because I can't stand those sacrifices. Just do nothing. That's better than what you're doing now, which is offering me defiled food. Right? He has no pleasure in Israel and no pleasure in the offerings they're deciding to give him. And so here's what's happening, right? Israel has, they have a choice right now, right? They have a choice. They have a road, they have two paths to take. They can either continue thinking that what they're doing with God is, is worshiping him, right? That he's actually pleased with the things that they're doing, right? Which obviously God has clearly stated to them. I don't like this. I don't want this. I hate this. Your, your sacrifices are wicked and evil, so don't continue to walk down this path. right? So they can either continue to walk down that, which God says don't do that, or they can repent. Right? They can repent. They can hear what God is telling them. They can open their eyes to the blindness of their own sinful hearts and just repent before God. Seek forgiveness from God, which, by the way, God will forgive when they ask of it. And in keeping with repentance, they begin to obey God. That they begin to sacrifice the right type of animals, the unblemished animals. That they make God their priority and give him the proper honor and worship that is due to him. Right? That's the decisions that they have to make at this point in time. Are they going to continue their wicked ways? Or are they going to repent and turn back to the Lord? You know, back when I was... Um, a youth intern and eventually became a youth pastor. Uh, I thought in my mind, right, as a youth pastor, right, it, it's okay to be a, a little crazy and do crazy things, right, because it's for the kids, it's for ministry, it's for God, right, right it's for God. And, and I, would, I would, you know, some of the things that I did, I can't mention all of them, but some of the things I did, it was very often that I would be jumping into and jumping out of moving cars, Okay, and this is a natural occurrence. I would see a window open. I would run and try to time my jumps properly, right, just to get into the car. And then once I'm in the car, just to kind of, you know, 
put my driver at all in shock. Sometimes I was the driver. <laughs> I would open the door and just jump out and tumble and then run back in, right? In my mind, again, all youth pastors must do this, right? Right? All must, youth pastors must do this. This is, this is what they do. This is, this is what's acceptable. This, it's for God, right? It's for God. And my wife, who at the time was my fiance, she would tell me very lovingly, you're not acting like a pastor, <laughs> right? You're making it very hard for parents to trust, uh, yeah, you know, their kids in your hands when you act this crazy and this dangerous, right? Um, and, you know, and, and I'm like, no, no, you know, it's okay. And they're like, no, no. And, you know, she was telling me, like, it's, you can have fun and be creative with fun without being crazy and dangerous, right? And I remember telling her, like, ah, you don't know, right? This is what youth pastors do. Trust me, right? I, I, I got this. I got this, right? And, you know, of course, you know, she kept on trying to lovingly tell me, uh, you know, over and over again that, you know, come on, you got you to gotta calm it down, right? And um, eventually I remember there was this one, one crazy act, just one day, this, this crazy act that I did. And I, I got the death stare. You know, if you're... If you're you know, married and you have a wife and you are a wife, you know there's the death stare, right? It's just, it's eyes that stare right into the soul. And I just like froze, like, uh, this is the first time I've ever seen that, right? Because we were, we were engaged, we weren't married yet, right? And of course, I've seen that many other times throughout marriage. But, <laughs> but, but you know, I, I remember seeing that death stare, right? And right at that moment, I had a choice to make. Right? I had a choice to make. Either I was going to listen to my lovely fiance, who I wanted to marry, right? I mean, she was a smart, beautiful, godly woman, right? I mean, of course she would know what she's talking about, right? I had this choice. I was either going to listen to her and change my ways and start to act appropriately, or I could say, nah, I don't know what you're talking about, and continue in my, my path of craziness and, and you know, and... You know, who knows how long I would have been a pastor if I did that. So obviously I listened to my wife, right, and, uh, or my fiancé at the time and now wife and, and, you know, grown and a little less crazier now, right. But that's, that's kind of what's going on with Israel, right. They, they, they kind of have this, this question, right, they're, 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 it's right in front of them. What path are you going to take? You have a decision. Either you're going to listen to what God has to say to you and you're going to repent Turn back to him, worship him properly, honor him properly, give him the honor and respect due to his name, or you're just going to continue doing what you do. Right? And again, now to bridge the text for us this morning, right, the, re- the reality, here's the reality. Here is the reality. When we come to worship God, right, when it, when it comes to worshiping God, making God our priority, giving him our best, here's the reality. We all fail. We all fail. Right? It's not a question of whether or not we will fail to honor and worship God. The question is only um, when and how often. Because right? we'll always fail. We're all sinners. But you see, God is loving and merciful. Right? He offers to us constantly the opportunity to repent, just like he was given Israel. To seek forgiveness for our sins. To, to seek forgiveness when we place someone or something else before God. When we don't worship him properly, when we don't give him our all and we give him those half-hearted worships, God, every single time, he will offer to us a, a chance to repent. And every time we do it and we take him up from that offer and seek forgiveness, he will always forgive us. Always. And so now the reflection question, right? Do, do you repent? Do you realize that you don't have it all together? 
that at times, maybe more often than we think, we don't worship God the way you ought to be worshiping him. Man, and when you, when you, when you think about those things and, and you reflect on those things and, and that comes to mind, like what do you do? What do you do, right? Do you, do you, get, on, do you get on your knees and, and just beg God to, to forgive you? And when you do, he will forgive. Not only will he forgive, right, we have the Holy Spirit that will empower us to then worship him properly, to change our lives and to turn us to Christ, to, be, to become more like him each and every day as we reflect on our hearts and do that. Nor do we not think about it at all. We remain blind like Israel was, thinking we're okay, but in reality, God hates it. As I said, Christian, right, God is ready and willing to forgive we need just ask. We need just ask for it, which is why we need to ask those reflection questions. Take time to think about our heart and where we're at with God and how we're worshiping him, right? That if there is something incorrect, some wrong attitude, which chances are there is, that he can then root that out of our hearts to challenge us and to grow us, right? That we may honor and glorify him more. Now, if you're here this morning, and you don't know Christ, or you don't have a relationship with Christ, let me, let me take this moment to plead with you now. Worshiping God correctly, putting him first over everything, you can try to do this with your own effort, but you will always fail. You will always lack proper worship of God. And like Israel, if you don't worship God correctly, he will punish. He will punish. He will send his judgment upon you. But here's the good news. Here is the good news, right? The reality is Jesus Christ came and died on the cross. He was resurrected after three days to show his power over sin and death, that in Christ is the forgiveness of sins. And if you would believe in this good news, not only would God forgive you of your sins and your lack of proper worship to him, he will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit that will empower you to live a life of proper worship to him. In, in fact, even as a Christian, this is, such, this is good news to us too. We can always turn back to him, Right? Christ is there. He's there and waiting. You can, if you don't know Christ, you don't believe him, you can love God and worship him today the way he wants you to love and worship him if you just place your faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Right? And I guarantee, I guarantee you when you do so, I guarantee you when you do so, it will be the best feeling in the world. Nothing will ever match it. And God will be pleased. Right? And so... We have to ask, all of us, I have to ask these reflection questions that we've heard this morning, right? Are we giving God our best? Do we, do we give to others better than we give to God? And do we repent when we do fail as we always do? We have to ask these reflection questions that we may then, you know, understand how we're worshiping God and correct that we may then worship him properly. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful morning. We thank you for this time, Lord, that we may just come before you and, and hear your word, Lord. And, and Lord, we just pray that as we heard from your word that you, that you may challenge us, that you may convict our hearts, Lord, to ask these reflection questions, to, to really consider and think through how are we worshiping you? How are we worshiping you, Lord? Do you get, are you getting all of us? Are you getting all of our hearts? And, Lord, I, I confess, Lord, I... I don't always put you first. I don't always worship you with my best foot forward. I don't always give you all the effort, Lord. And may you forgive me for that. And Lord, may you grant us your grace 
for all of us, Lord, that we may be able to see our sins, but that we may be corrected, that we may then turn to love you more and worship you. Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, that we have Christ, his death and resurrection on the cross that we can look to and that your grace is always there for us to take hold of, right, that we may love and worship you. We pray, Lord, that you will work on our hearts to ask these questions, Lord. And now as we continue to worship you in, in song, Lord, and in tithing, Lord, and as we give back to you what you've given to us, may you be pleased with it. May you use it for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' precious name we pray.